Hey there, I'm Jamin Baxter, and I serve Moody Radio as the Director of Business Development. Our team's job is to find businesses that love Moody Radio and Jesus Christ and want to support the work we do financially just like you. Today, I'd like to introduce you to United Faith Mortgage. Simply put, they are a faith-focused mortgage team serving clients across the United States. They've put together a team with Christian values with faith and family at the core. They know that this is arguably the most important purchase of your life. Check out the top five things you should know about United Faith Mortgage at unitedfaithmortgage.com. Thanks to you and United Faith Mortgage for supporting Moody Radio. United Faith Mortgage is a DBA of United Mortgage Corp. 25 Melville Park Road, Melville, New York. Licensed mortgage banker. For all licensing information, go to nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Corporate NMLS number 1330. Equal housing lender. Not licensed in Alaska, Hawaii, Georgia, Massachusetts, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Utah. This is Ed Stetzer Live. Thanks for joining us this and every Saturday at this time. We talk about issues of the day, culture, context, theology, mission, and more. Uh, we're actually pre-recording this episode, and I'll explain more about that in just a minute. But that means we can't take your calls as much as we do love your calls. One of our favorite part of our show. Um, however, we're, we want to talk about an important issue today. We're going to talk about the church today. We're going to talk about theology. We're going to talk about a theology of the church today. Maybe you got a friend, you know, hey, we really need to hear this. Maybe... Maybe the COVID-19 pandemic has kind of knocked them out of their church community, would knock them out of some of the relationships that they had. And we're going to talk about what is church, who is church, where is church, how does church work. We're going to talk about theology that undergirds this and more. Let me tell you a little bit what we're seeing right now. In the research that we're doing, we're seeing, and I'm kind of doing different conferences and seminars explaining this to pastors, church leaders, is that it seems that the church seems to be sorting into uh, thirds, if you will, is that the front third of the church has actually become more engaged during COVID. Uh, They've given more. They're serving more. We're finding a significant number of people have a higher level of engagement and involvement than they ever have before, which is one of the reasons why the church is actually, a lot of churches have not financially collapsed, even though attendance has been down and maybe Depending on where you're in the country, right? If you're in if you're in the cities in the Northeast, it could be twenty to thirty percent of people have returned. If you're if you're in Texas, they've been meeting the whole time and hugging each other. And anyway, and I know we have listeners all over the place. Uh, Southern California, we're on K Wave. I know Southern California, parts of LA, different than parts of Orange County. So, so all I'd say, the front third seems to be more involved. The middle third seems to be kind of hanging on. Uh, for some, they got kind of tired of the streaming, and now most churches are back in person at some level. Uh, my friend James Meeks, some of you know James Meeks at Salem Baptist in Chicago, where Moody's based. James serves on our board of trustees, the Moody Bible Institute. Uh, he just sent me a picture. They have returned this past Sunday, uh, July 4th. They had over 6,000 people come for their first service since shutdown. Some of you familiar with Moody Church in Chicago, where I served as interim for uh, almost four years. Uh, they did, they had their first service at Easter. So churches in the North, I know, I know if you're you're in Mississippi, you're like, what in the world? It's just different in, in the north and in northern cities. But what's happened in all of these places is people are sort of coming back in different levels or not coming back. So the first third, more involved. Second third, hanging on. But the thing I want you not to miss is the back third seems to have disconnected in 2020 and 2021. And we see this all over the place. On the back third on a given Sunday, there might be 100 people in church. Let's just say your church is 100 people. So 33 are more engaged. 33 are hanging on. And 33 on a given Sunday have disconnected. But here's the thing I don't want you to miss. 33 on a given Sunday is probably 150 people. 
So the back third is the largest part of the church. I know that seems strange. I know that seems like fuzzy math or new math. But when the disengage or the low engagement people are coming once every other month, they make up the third of your church on any given Sunday, but they're gone. They're disconnected now. And what we're finding is in our research is that churches across the country are waking up and they're resetting back at a lower level. And they're asking, where do those people go? And I think a couple things are at work. First, you know, we're here, I broadcast, I lead the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. We broadcast from Billy Graham Hall. One of this is an evangelistic call. People who are nominally or loosely connected to a church are often people who are spiritual seekers trying to figure out who they are and what they believe. So let me just say, I believe this fall could be one of the great moments of evangelism in the history of our nation. Uh, I'm, I'm actually the national spokesperson for Back to Church Sunday. We're encouraging people to get engaged again. I will be writing some things in some secular publications. Middle September, we think, uh, unless something changes, you know, we all are wondering about this Delta variant, but unless something changes, we think fall could be a significant time of reaching people. But also, too, I think it's a significant time of regathering for Christians who need to, again, learn to value the community life that is called church. So today, I've actually brought in a scholar, a theologian. His name is Dan Trier. Dan is a professor of theology here at Wheaton College. We serve together. Um, he, he's actually um, he's actually Presbyterian. I'm Baptist. We share a common passion for the church. Uh, PhD from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Before that, Grand Rapids Theological Seminary. And now teaches here, leads our PhD program. Just a well-respected scholar. I actually asked him to bring some of the books that would pertain to our topic today. And I actually have three books in my hand. Let me tell you about the first of them. His newest book is Introducing Evangelical Theology. And when we look, well, I'm going to talk about this in just a minute. Let me finish the introduction, and then Dan, I want you to explain them. Introducing Evangelical Theology, one of the books that has significant influence on my life before I knew who Dan was, was actually the, the community of the word toward an evangelical ecclesiology. We're going to explain the word ecclesiology and theology in just a minute. And then lastly, is a book he contributes a chapter on the church. It's called Theology, um, Questions Everyone Asks, Christian Faith in Plain Language. And that's what we need today, Dan Trier, is Christian Faith in Plain Language. Thanks for joining us we'll on the We'll do our program. best. Okay, good. Well, let's jump in. You're a theologian. Let's even start at the beginning. Someone's driving in their car. What's theology? What does that even mean? It is the practice of reflecting and teaching and bearing witness to who God is. Um, God's character, God's will, God's word, God's works. Okay, so... Theology is the broad category. Now, what we're going to talk about a lot today is ecclesiology. So what would ecclesiology be? It's the doctrine of the church, or what are the core things that we teach about uh, what the church is, or we might say who the church is, um, and what God has called okay, it Okay, so you started off with who instead of what, because I, I, I sometimes say, because I'm a preacher, I'll say church is not a what or a where, it's a who. You know, preachers exactly. always have a pithy way to say it. So... Um, you know, the church I'm serving right now, I'm the interim teaching pastor at Calvary Baptist Church in New York City. Um, so it has a place, West 57th Street, just near Broadway. Stephen Olford preached there. But they just sold that building last week, made global news, right? They're building a new building on top of it. It's on West 57th, Billionaire's Row, so people want to buy it. They're going to get six stories of it, but they got no place to meet right now. So is that still a church? It is still a church okay. because fundamentally in Scripture— the church is the people of God, uh, the people of the triune God, the people that are the body of Christ, uh, who are defined by having their whole lives be in Christ and together uh, comprising his uh, way of doing his work on earth at the moment. Okay, but but that's not the way people think. 
So literally part of our challenge right now is I'll be flying to New York City this weekend. I'll be preaching. We're meeting at Hunter College, which is where Redeemer Presbyterian used to used to meet, Tim Keller's church. And one of the big challenges is there's a, just a bloat of people that we sold our building. It's a great move for the future of the church. We're going to have a thousand-seat sanctuary in the heart of Manhattan. But for three years, they're in the wilderness. So how can we reemphasize that a church is a who, not a what and a where? And why does that matter so much? Well, I think— um... It matters because when Jesus comes and regathers Israel in a way that establishes a community of followers around himself, Jews and Gentiles, he's gathering this community to declare God's glory among the nations and to worship in spirit and in truth. There's a change from the way that the people of God in the Old Testament were so place-dominated um, in terms of tabernacle and, and temple and land before going into exile and so forth. So we, we need to honor that change at the same time that there's a, a continuity that the church gathers, right? The church is the assembly. It's the people that gathers. So the activity of gathering is vital, but the place where the gathering happens can be quite varied hmm. in how it happens. Where two or three are gathered in Jesus' name, there he is with them as much as where two or 3,000 are gathered, and that two or 3,000 may need a building in a way that the two or mm-hmm. three don't quite. So if two or three are gathered at Starbucks and praying, are they a church? Well, that is going to depend on which uh, evangelical tradition you're in to some degree. Yours or mine would say no. <laughs> I think the short answer would be no. So what? I mean, so then what does, you know, I mean, you go to Calvary, and, you know, we're meeting in a college right now, so so that's not normal. But we are going to practice the Lord's Supper on Sunday. We are having baptisms, I think, Sunday night. I'll be preaching the Word of God. We'll be, uh, we'll be worshiping together. So what are some of those things that make a church a church? So you can distinguish. Historically, we've called those the marks. The Reformers talked about the right preaching of the Word, the right administration of the sacraments. Uh, my friend Mark Dever said there are nine of them. So what are marks of a church? Well, you've named the most crucial and widely agreed upon ones when you talk about the, preach, the reading and preaching of the Word the administration of the sacraments or ordinances, depending on your tradition, um, the baptism and the Lord's Supper. And um, then I think we we need to say something, and it's going to vary, about leadership and order, Mm -hmm. about the way that the community uh, nourishes positively and disciplines slightly negatively um, its uh, members so that they can grow in grace and uh, truly be um, a healthy part of the body. Okay, so there are, there's a covenant community, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, depending upon the tradition. So the Restoration Movement, those who are in independent Christian churches, they don't have membership, but they still seem to be in some sort of covenant with one another. My church has a specific process to go through for membership. You're in an evangelical Presbyterian church. I'm guessing you have some sort of membership process. We do. Yeah. So those are people, you know, there are two places in the New Testament where it talks about people being on a list. So there appears there's a list of some sort. We're on the list. Now, here's the reality. Um, our, our audience, we're on, of course, we're on the Moody Radio Network. We're on Partners and Affiliates. We're on, you know, we're on Faith Radio up, up in Minneapolis and around. We're on K-Wave in L.A. Um, what we know from our research is that a significant percentage of people who listen to Moody Radio and Christian Radio in general are not engaged with the local church. Some of them might even say, this is my church. They might, I mean, think about it. They, I mean, they're listening to Bible teaching that's way better than you and me all day, every day. There's a reason people are on national radio, right? So amazing Bible teaching. They got worship music. So could they just announce that Moody Radio is my church, or is there something else we need? 
Well, I think the church itself in its history and uh, biblical pastoral prudence says we need to allow for contextual diversity in how this all hits us and a lot of pastoral wisdom in terms of people's life situations. So I'll offer that footnote once before giving more regular yeah. sort of standard answers. Yeah, good. Right? But no, I think so contextual, you use the word contextualization. So that's, you know, I have great love for that. My field's missiology. But we basically mean that in some ways the context shapes the best way the churches function. So, and people know this intuitively. If you're in Kenya under a boma and there's, you know, 20 people and someone with the Bible, that's a church as much mm-hmm. as, if it, if it intends to be a right. church and practices yep. the, or the marks of a church, as much as Moody Church would be familiar to the Moody Radio audience. They're, they're churches. So churches look different from place to place, but they also have certain things in common from place to place. Yes. Talk to us about some of those. Well, we, you know, to, to loop back to your, I can hear great preaching on the radio question, mm-hmm. that's true, and maybe that person has been baptized in their past, uh, but the Lord's Supper very much calls us into communion, not only with our Lord, but with each other. It's an embodied uh, practice, and it's an embodied practice that celebrates not only a vertical, but also a horizontal communion, and an anticipation of a great heavenly banquet when that vertical and horizontal communion will be perfected and full. And then I think we need to talk under the broad heading of nurture and discipline of the one another uh, type of commands in the New Testament. It's very hard to be a Lone Ranger Christian and fulfill the legion of one another uh, commands that are all over the New Testament, and therefore to realize the kinds of positive metaphors that the New Testament also gives us, which are very family-oriented. You can't be a family just by yourself uh, totally. We'll be back with our conversation and continue talking about the church with Dan Tyre in just a moment. Hey, we're back. We're talking to Dan Trier. His newest book is Introducing Evangelical Theology. I want to jump back to the church thing in just a moment, but I mean, Introducing Evangelical Theology is not a light undertaking. So this is your systematic theology to tell the world about systematic theology. What is it? In a manner of speaking. Give me a better manner to speak it. How would you explain (laughs) it? Because I'm sure you've got nuance to it. This is a beast. This is a, this is a, a collection and a fixing, Lord willing, of uh, what I taught to Wheaton undergrads, semester in, semester out, in their Christian doctrine course in my first decade here at the college. Nice. So if I wanted to, let's say our listeners saying, I want to learn foundational Christian doctrine and theology, they could get up, pick up Introducing Evangelical Theology. It came out in 2019. Yes. And then the pandemic came. You may have heard of the pandemic. Yes, I have it, heard it, of it, the pandemic. It did make some news. <laughs> uh, and so I, I felt bad for everyone who published a book in like 2019, <laughs> but even worse for 2020, depending upon the book. We had Esau McCauley, who's been on the program, had him over to the house last night to meet with some of my students. And uh, he said, yeah, my book came out in the middle of the pandemic. And so we had him sign books last night, and he said, this is my first book signing. In yes. my living room. But Esau has had the compensation of selling a lot of he books. He has sold a lot more so, books than you, you know, and me Amazon put together. Amazon did deliver during that the is, pandemic. They did still deliver, <laughs> and they still deliver now. So if you don't have evangelical, introducing evangelical theology, but one of, I mean, in theology, there's things like soteriology, which is a fancy way for how people become Christians. And there's different expressions of it, right? There's, there's pneumatology, how we understand the Holy Spirit. And then there's ecclesiology, how we understand the church. Now, you may wonder, listener, why is Ed Stetzer talking with a theologian about ecclesiology today? So just this week, I spoke, I was out in uh, California, 
and I spoke at the Calvary Chapel Global Network meeting. Uh, the head of Calvary Chapel, Brian Broderson, Chuck Smith's successor, is one of our students here at Wheaton College. He invited me out. And I talked about where we are and where we're going. There's a lot that's still to come. We're in the midst of a cultural convulsion that's far bigger than the uh, than the pandemic. When the pandemic ends, even as it is ending, seems to be here in the States, uh, it's not around the world, but the cultural convulsion goes on. The levels of disengagement that I talked about, the three levels still go on. There's actually what I call the great sort that goes on. People are sorting themselves into churches that align with their ideology rather than their theology. We found that in this uh, COVID tracking project some of our colleagues are doing here, COVID attendance tracking tracking project, that 30% of people coming to a new church left their last church because of how they handled COVID. So it's the great sort. And a lot of it's ideological. They want churches to align with what they hear on cable news. They want their churches to kind of align with that. But one of the big issues for me, and I'm not asking you to comment on all that, right? There's a lot going on there. But one of the big issues for me is, and this is me in front of the Calvary Global Network, right? Churches across the world. I said, to get through this other side of the pandemic, we got to do two things. One of which we got to elevate our ecclesiology and continue to engage the mission. That front third, we need them to stay engaged because what could happen is they could settle back into more consumer-driven mindsets. But the elevating ecclesiology is to me key because here's what a lot of people did, right? Uh, I, 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 Saddleback, Rick Warren would say this. I, I, and I, was, I preached the last service before Saddleback went back in person. And I had to kind of undo some of what – Rick Warren probably listening, so he's going to send me a letter. <laughs> but, um, but what happened – Rick said the church never closed. And that's what a lot of people said. People followed that example. And they said you can have just as good an experience watching online because we had to convince people to stay connected. But I think one of the unintended consequences of that we're now seeing is that there are dozens in a small church and thousands in a large church who've said, well, okay, I don't need to be in physical proximity to people anymore. And I want to raise up a red flag and say, I think that's a mistake. I don't think you can have true community with electrons and avatars, you know, kind of the social media stuff. I think you've got to have biblical community. So again, we're th- and I think Saddleback, I'll use them as an example, navigate this. We did the same thing at Moody Church, right? So this is what everybody did. But I'm now saying, just as a lot of things have unintended side consequences, one of the unintended consequences of telling people that we're going to have church online is that they believed us. <laughs> and now I'm of the view that we've got to elevate our ecclesiology and teach them why it's feet and faces, not just electrons and avatars. So let's have that theological conversation. Because right now I got, I got people asking me, Ed, we've got now members, you know, I'm, I'm at Calvary, we're still, you know, we still do some online stuff until recently. We got people from Germany zooming in. And what if they want to join the church? I mean, so how should we approach this hopeful transition back to in-person from online? What does that look like, and why does it matter theologically? Well, one thing we need to say right off the top is the church does a lot more biblically than gather for worship. Good. Gathering for worship is central, but we are also sent. And so we would need to have a conversation about uh, food pantries, yeah. about caring for the bereaved, about simply sitting with and spending time with lonely and suffering people, and a whole lot of other things that the church is called to do help uh, families raise kids and so forth. But even in gathering for worship, we aren't just uh, creating an experience for individuals to consume or to consume and participate in. We are also recognizing that we are there with one another in important ways. In 
many traditions, that's the passing of the peace or a greeting time or the like. But that is just one tangible reminder that the very act of gathering is something that a community does. And it does so, in a sense, as a family in terms of lots of, you know, New Testament household metaphors and the like. So both in terms of beyond gathering for worship and in terms of what we think gathering for worship means, we're going to be dealing with more than just individual experience, and we're going to be dealing with bodies with more than just inward experience if we do justice to what the communities of Jesus' followers in the New Testament um, are portrayed like. Yeah, you mentioned family a few times. So um, family is one of the pictures. I mean, literally, it's it's one of the descriptors, and a body is another descriptor and more. So people driving on the car on Saturday, a lot of people listen to this podcast afterwards. Um, why does that mean I have to get together with people when they didn't have Zoom, uh, or as we use here, Microsoft Teams, At uh, they didn't have those products then? I can, I mean, I Zoom with my parents, my my kids meet their, see their grandparents online, can I just make that the norm? And really, at the end of the day, can I just watch TV on Sunday morning and listen to the TV <laughs> preacher? I mean, well, of course, yeah. Zoom allowed us to do all kinds of things on an interim basis mm-hmm. that we can be massively thankful for and that can help us to do what we normally do perhaps better uh, in the future. So I, I don't want to be uh, dumping on Zoom. But in every case that I know of, whether it's educational institutions with classes, or churches with streaming services, or family video chats, Zoom assumes some kind of context of pre-existing relationship. Mm. It's it's trading on embodied yeah. capital. It's it's a it's an extra. It's a bonus. And I think I think that ultimately is key. Is that I'm not against online church. I'm pro online str- streaming searches. What I think we need to see is, is that if if we're right now, like Calvary, we have some wonderful people who are watching around the world. And at Moody Church, this happens all the time. You know, we had more people watch online every week. Is we need to say to them, and you need to get involved in a local church. Um, and at Moody Radio, we literally say, when we do, like we do Moody Share, which is kind of our annual fundraising thing, uh, twice annual fundraising thing. And we say, give to your local church first. So Moody Radio leadership, actually Moody is led by a pastor who pastors a local church, Mark Job. So Ephesians 3.10 says God has chosen the church to make known his manifold wisdom. It's the tool. It's the instrument. It's the vessel. And so our commitment to the local church. Now, it's hard, though. I mean, when I'm at a church, I, I ask when I'm preaching, I say, when I try to bring this message, I just preached Hebrews 10, 24, 25, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, which I will tell you, I didn't preach for 18 months because we paused, here's the way I put it, we we adopted a temporarily deficient ecclesiology. Now remember, we've defined ecclesiology early, kind of the biblical understanding, a theological understanding of church. We adopted a temporarily deficient ecclesiology in the emergency for the sake of the mission. Now again, this became controversial. Some people got mad at their church. And if you got mad at your church, or if you left your church over this, please don't. Your pastor has faithfully taught, shared God's word with you for, for however long. But we all did that. 96% of churches, um, when President Trump, two weeks, you remember two weeks to stop the spread? You remember two weeks to <laughs> yes. stop the spread? Now it's two doses. Um, anyway, so, and then it was a month, and 96% of churches paused. It's very unusual churches didn't, and mainly very small churches. Um, so everyone did. And the question is, when you came back, that became controversial. 
but I don't think ultimately it's controversial that you should come back. So what message would you give to people who are maybe not engaged in church life right now? Could, there could be Christians, might not be Christians. We have a significant percentage. I think it was 10, 15% of the listeners actually didn't have a Christian commitment in our survey. But most are Christians, but a lot are disconnected from church, and COVID did it to them. What would you be your encouragement to them? Well, maybe this is the time to talk about Ephesians 4 for a minute and to tell you what happened to me uh, in seminary, a spiritual formation class, which I've always felt fairly guilty about certain things about my spiritual formation. So, you know, I'm starting spiritual formation class, and I thought, oh, good, a time to feel guilty for a whole semester, you know? (laughs) That's the goal. Uh, And the professor, John Lillis, walked in the first day, and he said, my goal is to stand your assumptions about spiritual formation on their heads. And I wondered what that was going to mean. His, His point, arguing from Ephesians 4 and elsewhere, is that American Christianity has generally gotten spiritual formation backward. We have tried to locate the church in terms of spiritual formation as the means to the end of individuals growing yeah. spiritually. Let me just say one thing. When you when we say spiritual formation, that's kind of the fancy academic word for discipleship. Not exactly, but at, I lead the Christian formation area here. But we're talking about that spiritual personal discipleship when we talk about Christian formation. But your point is, it's more than that. Yeah, exactly. So... So, you know, I then years later was analyzing textbooks we were using with Wheaton College freshmen, and I would read the section about the church, and it would say, you need to go to the church and be part of the church in order to grow spiritually as an individual. And that's true, but that's not the ultimate point. In Ephesians 4, the proper working of each individual part is the means that contributes to the ultimate end of the growth of the body together. And it's the body together that is measured against the stature of Christ. Have we grown up to look like him, uh, the one new humanity in whom we participate? So it's, it's not that individual discipleship is not important, not at all. But ultimately, uh, what God is doing in the gospel is calling out a people for himself to declare his glory among the nations together. The church as one new humanity together is God's goal and our discipleship fits into that. Rather than thinking that I use the church only insofar as it contributes to my being spiritually self-actualized as I perceive it. And so I think that that mindset shift um, can make a powerful difference, and it made a powerful difference for me to see my professor live that. Mm. So he turned down more lucrative and impressive academic job offers to stay as a leading part of the local church that he was involved in. And that was a really powerful witness to me of the importance of the church. We're going to talk more about the church with Dan Trier. He's the author of Introducing Evangelical Theology, other books about ecclesiology. We're going to talk more about the church, and we'll continue our conversation, hopefully encourage you towards that reality in just a moment. We're back at Stetzer Live. I'm at Stetzer. I am the executive director of the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. I serve as a professor and dean at Wheaton College, and we actually do broadcasts from here as well. So one of the great opportunities I have is to bring a colleague on every now and then, and I've got Dan Trier on. He's a professor of theology here. We've talked some about his book, Introducing Evangelical Theology, Theology, the Broad Picture, Ecclesiology, kind of the theological, biblical understanding of the church has been our focus, but it's not unaware that we're in the midst of a pandemic. 
you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, Dan, um, churches responded different ways and people got mad at different ways they responded. So if you uh, pause worship or you required masks, some people thought you were a compromised coward and they, they let you know. Um, but then if you began to meet at any level, a significant percentage of people thought, this is terrible. I mean, we're in the middle of a pandemic. You can't meet. So pastors, um, and our, list, our audience here is, is not generally pastors, but Christians. Uh, pastors heard a lot from Christians about the church and what it should be doing. And and I get, actually, I mean, there were mixed messages and there was people who were frustrating. I, I, I wrote an article before the shutdown encouraging churches in hard-hit areas to pause meeting. Soon that was settled for all of us with a presidential announcement. But then people had to think, when do I come back and how? And um, you, one of the solutions could be we could all now not come back. You know, I mean, we got Chuck Swindoll's teachings on the radio, right? We can listen. Uh, you know, I, John MacArthur preaching through books of the Bible. I could listen to John MacArthur preach the books of the Bible. Um, so there's something, and, and let me just say, they're better than I am as a preacher and better than you are as a preacher. Because, And that's, again, that's... So we, we agree on We that. agree on this. We agree. I mean, so so here's the question that I think we have to, to answer is why do we say, hey, you saw you didn't have to come, but really, and actually in, in your book, in, in This is Theology Questions Everyone Asks, you actually um, ask the question with some, with some parentheses, why do Christians have to go to church? So I want you to answer that question for us. We have to go to church to participate in the gift that the church is in the gospel of not only our receiving personal forgiveness in Christ, but being called into communion with the Father by the Holy Spirit, um, and called into communion not only with the triune God, but with the people that the triune God is redeeming. So this is a gift of the gospel to be called into the life of the church. In all of its messiness, it is a community of forgiven sinners just like me. If you join a church uh, that you think is perfect, you've just ruined it. And so um, it's it's to participate in how central the church is in the grace of the gospel that we um, participate in all of the messiness of its uh, embodied okay. practical but life. How central the church is in this, but but does it have to be? I mean, so so what we learned. What a lot of our listeners learned is, I mean, they can listen to Moody Radio all week and think of the disciple making this. As a matter of fact, I'd encourage them to listen to Moody Radio all week rather than some of the talk radio that's out there that's just getting them mad all the time, right? Yes. Um, and then they can they can stream on Sunday pastors and church music that's better than their. I mean, their their church is bad music a lot of time, <laughs> and it's not the greatest preaching, right? You know, and and so, but I've seen I, I could see all these other people why. And those people, those people are sometimes hypocrites, and they're mean to me, and they want to save their pews, Absolutely. and they argue about the music, and why don't I just stay home and be Jesus and just do it alone? Well, maybe there's an irony here that the theologian is going to tell you to go away from the model in which uh, the Christian faith is about having truth stuffed into your heads, but um, we have a pretty warped understanding of what the faith is about if we think that having uh, doctrinal truths and or clever stories um, wittily stuffed into our heads every week is kind of the essence of what of what God is doing in the gospel. Yes, the ministry of the Word is vital as God calls people into fellowship with Christ by the Spirit, but it's a full-orbed uh, fellowship with Christ that um, manifests itself then, that plays itself out in all kinds of these one-another uh, life practices where we get a foretaste 
and we serve as a foretaste for others of the fullness of God's kingdom by the way that we live for live with one another and care for one another. Um, so there's an embodied care of yes, messy people um, that we're called into. Maybe another way of saying it is that lots of us confuse church with an affinity group. Mm. Uh, with we we confuse Christian community with friendship, but they're not the same. Uh, we are called as a witness to the power of the gospel into community in church with people that we wouldn't be friends with otherwise, that we wouldn't have an affinity with otherwise. Bonhoeffer is very powerful on this in Life Together, talking about what a gift Christian community is, but not in a romanticized way of just enjoying like life in the college dorm or something with those that we would naturally have fun with. It's rather that we, we know the essence of the church is happening uh, in terms of Christ's redemptive work when we're in community with and caring for people that we wouldn't otherwise choose to be with, but now the Spirit is enabling us to do that as a body Dietrich Bonhoeffer, famous German theologian, wrote Life Together, which kind of cast a vision for something that doesn't look like the modern American church, right? So the modern American church looks like a cafeteria plan where you can pick what you want, you kind of engage the menu. People will pick the church based on, I like this music style, I like this preacher, he's did this, this or that. Um, they will choose their church on the basis of their consumer preferences. Um, how do we how do we reverse that? How do we engage churches that we say, you know, these are we're with men and women who are on a journey with us, and we need one another, and it looks more like the New Testament. And don't 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 be afraid to throw some Bible in there too. How do we get there? <laughs> Well, if if I were a competent pastor, I would probably be doing that rather than uh, being a professor. There but, you go. Uh, with that caveat, I think probably the last few years have revealed to us that we did not um, preach and nurture enough about character formation in terms of putting away things like wrath and malice and division and the like. We probably didn't preach enough positively about the difference that uh, Christian unity makes and fellowship um, across differences. We so, so Christ likeness both positively in terms of virtue and putting off the kinds of character vices that um, our our polarized world certainly reflects. So I think part of the pastoral task is probably not just to get people. Uh, in the door or excited about Jesus, but now to say, what kind of community life was Jesus actually calling us into and helping people to see that that will, particularly in an era when our social media technologies don't necessarily encourage the best part of ourselves, um, what, what will that call us into in terms of a difficult discipleship? A difficult. Who wants a difficult discipleship, Dan Dreyer? Nobody wants that. We want it served with music in the background, a couple of happy examples. And again, I'm a preacher, so you know I, I, I preach this way. But part of the challenge where we find ourselves is that kind of relational connection is costly, and what's before us is less costly. It is, um, and we still get to love Jesus. We still get to worship, and we still get to listen to good teaching. But there's something about the being in that community. The typical church in the United States is uh, under 100 in attendance. Um, it's not 
you know, the, the preacher may not be the most amazing communicator, but those preachers and leaders in that church, those men and women have have invested their lives in that church of a hundred. So if I show back up and I say, Dan, here I am, and I, I, I don't want to risk the relationship. I've been hurt in a church in the past. And that's where a lot of people listen are. They've been hurt in the church in the past. Why should I go back in and expose the the, the, the core of my spiritual struggle to other people when I can just figure it out me and Jesus at home. So I think there there's maybe an exhortation answer we could give and an encouragement answer we could give. The exhortation answer is because that is what um, God in Christ has called us to do, right? Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. Or Romans 12, 9 through 21, uh, just read that text uh and then see if you can be non-churchly, you know, in the in the way that you you follow Jesus. So there, so there's an exhortation side, but I think it can be balanced too by an encouragement side that um, we may meet God there in those difficulties, particularly in those relational disappointments when other Christ followers really hurt us. We may be surprised at the ways that we will meet the work of the Holy Spirit in healing us and in healing broken communities through us and through our stick-with-itness um, that wouldn't happen in any other way if, if we cut and run. You know, C.S. Lewis talks about Jesus being able to endure temptation uh, because he didn't give into it right away, and so he experienced aspects of temptation and God's help down the line by the Holy Spirit because he gets farther in resisting temptation than we ever did. And that's a kind of parable, I think, maybe, for the ways that being hurt in the church or experiencing its relational difficulties, if we can persist, may enable us to meet the Holy Spirit in ways that the kind of quick cut and run wouldn't. Fascinating, fascinating. And here Moody Radio, I want you to hear, and at Wheat College where Dan and I serve, we're committed to the local church. Again, we think God has chosen the church to make known his manifold wisdom. The, the college, Moody Bible Institute, Wheaton College, we're here to support the work and ministry of the local church, and in doing so, so that she might advance the good news of the gospel. We'll continue in just a moment with Dan Fryer. Hey, we're back. Ed Stetzer Live. And just so you know, we're actually pre-recorded, so we're not taking your calls today. Not that we don't love your calls. We love your calls. But today we're pre-recorded. I'm actually out on vacation uh, in New York City with uh, Donna, my wife, and uh, and I'll be preaching this weekend on Sunday at at uh, Calvary. So I'm there just a little bit early, and so I, I had the privilege of asking Dan Trier, who's on faculty with me here at Wheaton College. He's a theologian, um, and he's written. We've already mentioned introducing evangelical theology. We quoted a little bit, asked some questions from his uh, edited book volume. He's a contributor to this. It's theology questions everyone asks, and so I want to go back to though my first interaction with you before I knew who you were and before we served together. And I never thought, by the way, I'd be on the faculty of Wheaton College. Probably I never thought that. Exactly. A lot of the faculty. A lot of our colleagues never thought either one of us. Like, how in the world did that happen? (laughs) So, so I would teach from your book uh, with Mark Husbands and Dan Trier. Your book is um, the Community of the Word. And it's actually, when I came here, I searched for your name, and you're in like all kinds of the notes that I've been teaching at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School or where was I, Malaysia Theological Seminary. So I, when I teach on missions and mission, you know, John 20, 21, Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. The question always is, if we bring the gospel to maybe an unreached people group, maybe to the Pokot in Africa, to the Quechua in the highlands of Peru, the Iban in Malaysia, 
Okay, the church is going to look different. A biblically faithful church in Senegal looks different than a biblically faithful church in Seattle. It should, it must. It's part of the mission. But one of the questions that kind of flows out of that too, though, is, is the, through the mission, men and women are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Their lives are being changed. And if I'm reaching a group of surfers in Southern California, okay, we're on K-Wave, so it, it birthed out of the Jesus People movement, right? So, so they all surf. I mean, Brian Broderson, the pastor of the church that owns a station there, he's out there surfing all the time. And group of people get to know Jesus, they start meeting maybe Saturday night, and then they start saying, well, should we baptize one another in the ocean? The Jesus People movement, you know, births out of all that sort of stuff. So mission does really lead to questions about church. So how do we think about them today when, when people are asking new and innovative questions about church? The, the pandemic has upended everything. Lead us from mission to church and why that matters. Well, the first thing to say, I think, is that those uh, missionary encounters and new contextual questions, we need to view them as an opportunity rather than a problem. Um, I mean, sometimes they are challenging, of course, but um, they really are a providential opportunity that God has used time and time again in the history of the church to bring renewal, to bring uh, new insight into uh, scripture and what it's teaching about how the community of faith is to live. Billy Abraham, who's done a lot in Wesleyan holiness uh, church circles over the decades, as well as being a, a really complicated philosopher and theologian, tells of pretty soon after the Berlin Wall came down and then uh, Russia started opening up and he wound up in Kazakhstan connecting to a new mission front there and seeing that within just a few years, as people came to faith, they were facing all of the practical questions that generated our different church traditions um, here in the West. Do you baptize uh, babies or not? Um, how do you do the Lord's Supper? And uh, how does discipline you know, relate to these other activities of the church and, and so forth? So there's a sense in which we want to allow for the newness of these contexts to be an opportunity to bring new insight or to bring renewal uh, where there's old kind of decay. But on the other hand, we, we will expect that there are going to be family resemblances in the questions that come up and in the answers that are given from Scripture to those uh, perennial questions, because over and over again, certain kinds of things in one way or another wind up happening um, on the missionary frontier. Yeah, it seems like, and I, I actually go through, I talk about six marks of a biblical church. Uh, and, you know, I think every church everywhere needs to have covenant community. I think every church everywhere needs to practice baptism in the Lord's Supper, called ordinances in my tradition, sacraments, I think, yes. in the Evangelical Presbyterian yep. Church. Um, every church needs to have delegated leadership. You know, and people talk about what does that look like? So I've got friends who've got bishops. My denomination, we don't have bishops. We've got some people who think they're bishops, but we don't have bishops. <laughs> Those are uh, in every church. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> they announce themselves. But we have pastors and deacons as the offices of the church. So there are, you know, markers that should be true every church, every time, and every place. And sometimes, but not specifically because they're prescribed. In other words, this the Bible says this, so you should have this, where it does say that about baptism. That's a prescribed thing. But leadership in the church is described enough that clearly the writers of the New Testament want us to see this is what normally is. And there's some question about, you know, what that structure looks like. It'd be different in yours and mine. You know, you would have an elder session. We would have, you know, different structures in a Baptist church. But in the midst of all this, if the Bible goes to so much trouble— <laughs> to clearly talk about the role of the church. How did we get to the place where we, we're having a radio show on Moody Radio to talk about the importance of the church? Now, I think part of it's the pandemic, but the pandemic just accelerated what I think was already there. This is why you wrote the Community of the Word toward an evangelical ecclesiology. 
And in there, the quote, I literally almost have your quote memorized. The reason we talk about an evangelical ecclesiology is because there's not much of one. <laughs> um, and so, so how is it that our people who love Jesus and love the Word of God have lost maybe the clarity of how much they should love the church and be engaged with it personally? Well, I'm going to go with the, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times approach. Nothing wrong approach. with that. Yeah. So the, uh, it was the worst of times approach. I, I laugh when you mention how transformative that book was for you, because that is the Wheaton Theology Conference uh, collection that is the all-time worst seller. I didn't know that. Yeah, we okay. we nearly got put out of business with InterVarsity Press because of that that book. That's awesome. So I'm, um, I, I've required it in classes, so I'm, help, are, I'm doing my part. You are one of approximately 600 people that has ever bought <laughs> but, that book. But you can see why, as a missiologist, this would be so important to me. It's like a book on ecclesiology, yeah, you know, and but there Simon are, Chan had one as well. There's not a lot. Yeah, there are royalty checks where you know we can go for a decent dinner, <laughs> and then there are royalty checks that might get you through the McDonald's drive through And funny. that that's a McDonald's drive through awesome. royalty check. Very few people came to the conference, and so the it was the worst of times is the sense that evangelicals don't um, pay proper attention to what the Bible teaches about the yeah. church. But the best of times part would be what some people said to us after the conference, which is evangelicals are gospel people, and they recognize that at their best, that in a certain way the church is part of the gospel, but that there's a freedom— about how we understand working that out in practice. And when we recognize shared gospel fellowship in Christ across our ecclesiological differences, we evangelicals say, I can still fellowship with you. I can still work with you. And that's going to lead to a little bit of a kind of minimalist or lowest common denominator ecclesiology, which is not all bad. It's a certain kind of ecumenical uh, shared mission kind of focus. And, And so we can celebrate that aspect of evangelical ecclesiology, of the fact that we don't linger too long over some of the particulars if it looks like they're going to hinder fellowship or mission, at least historically. Now, where that's left us lately, right, is when other factors threaten to control our affinities, um, separate us when it comes to fellowship or mission. We don't have enough commitment to the church to stick with it with each other, and if politics or whatever else from culture says it's not worth it to stick together for fellowship or mission anymore, well then obviously if we don't recognize the proper importance of the church, we're going to be in trouble in terms of that shared missionary vision. Well, let me just say I'm encouraged by our conversation today, and my hope is that a lot of our listeners were as well. I think we're at a key moment. I think um, if the current trends continue, churches could reset at a level that's 75 to 80% of where they were before, which ironically, a lot of churches could be satisfied with because their finances are remaining similar <laughs> because the people who sort of disconnected weren't particularly strong givers. And I think that's a mistake. I think this fall, two things can and should happen. One is we've got to elevate our ecclesiology. We've got to take the time so that we might teach. I think pastors and church leaders, I think Christians listening here, I think Bible study leaders need to talk about what it means to be in this community called Church Together. There's a reason that we are placed into this body. And secondarily, I think this fall could be a great evangelistic opportunity. So we need to engage the mission. We need to take the opportunity to show and share the love of Jesus. Churches, many churches have stood up, stood out, and just took a leadership role in ministering the pandemic. And it's the opportunity for them to then reach out to the neighbors that they served and showed and shared the love of Jesus too. 
So if you're not engaged in a church, I want to encourage you to, to get engaged and involved in a local church. It's a theological imperative. It matters. The local church is essential to, and not, not just electrons and avatars, but yes, feet and faces. We believe that at Moody Radio. Dan and I believe this here at Wheaton College. We believe this at Moody Bible Institute. Let me encourage you, uh, as always, to take the time to pray for and be engaged in your local church. Let me thank my team here, Courtney Young, our engineer, Karen Hendren, our producer, the great team at uh, Moody Radio. And Moody Radio is a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.